Okay, so I've got to tell you a story about something that happened this week with one of our pastors. And I'm not going to tell you who. You've got, you got to figure it out. Um, one of our pastors is driving, right? And there's this old man in front of him driving. A 75-year-old man's in front of him driving. And the 75-year-old man accidentally hits a guy riding a bicycle and knocks him over. The guy gets up and pounds on this old man's car, you know, on the hood, and then goes over to where the old man is sitting, opens up his door, and starts pounding on the 75-year-old man, kicking the 75-year-old man. So one of our pastors who's behind, you know, has got his little baby in the car and go, man, what do I do? Just, you know, instinct. You just run over there, right? He runs over and grabs this guy and pulls him off of this old man and gets between this angry person and the old man. And and this guy's still trying to get at the old man. And, And he grabs his shirt and tears his shirt tears, you know, our pastor shirt guy off, you know, starts swinging him, grabs his arm, you know, was pulling him down so he can get back to beating up this old man. And our pastor's going, man, what do I do? And it's just one of those moments like, I can't let it happen. And he takes one swing. Okay. One uppercut hits him in the jaw and knocks him out cold. Okay. And and that's what everyone in the intersection did. They started clapping and honking and cheering for our pastor. You know, one of the guys on our staff. But it was one of those moments. And then the police come, you know, and he has to stay there for the police. And, and you know, and so they ask the witnesses, what happened? What happened? And they go over to, you know, our, one of our pastors. And you're thinking, man, who was it? You know, and you're thinking, okay, couldn't have been Jim. He couldn't do it. Um, um, you know, you're thinking, Terry, Terry could do it. Bill could do it. You know, and, and, and uh, but anyways, you know, all the eyewitnesses are like, you know, tell the story. And he comes over and the policeman comes over to our, 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 our pastor and goes, uh, so, so how many times you hit the guy? He goes, honestly, just once. And he goes, yeah, that's what everyone else said. <laughs> Good punch. You know, okay. So there's a point to the story. Okay. What? Uh, if that was you, okay. Because I don't know what you think of that. You know, okay. If that were you and you were, you were in that car behind that and you saw the old man getting beat up would you have gotten out of your car and would you have tried to physically do something okay now even if the guy was bigger than you okay even if he's bigger than you so some of you ladies are even going yep <laughs> okay so you would do something and um and, and maybe you could knock him out with one hit but you know you would just try to subdue him somehow whatever but if you didn't do something you would walk away with a sense of shame right like you go man you, you know because afterwards when i understand the old man's like just so grateful as he's all beat up but he's going wow you know and it's interesting how different people respond to that story because i thought wow that's so cool <laughs> you know <laughs> you're the pastor of the year okay you you um you know and i'm telling my wife and my daughter and she's like well what happened to the old man i go man i don't know i'm sure he's fine you know but it, it just one swing you know and my wife's like man you're really excited about this i go you don't understand i stay up at night dreaming of doing something like that you know and you guys have too those scenarios where you go i think it'd be okay to hit him at this point and so in your dream you're like yeah and he got to do it okay but um 
Yeah, it was funny because someone asked, so, so man, your wife must have just thought you were a total hero. And he's like, no, she was mad that I ripped her favorite shirt. <laughs> but, so, so you guys would have done that. You would have gotten out. You would have been courageous. Okay, let me, throw, let me throw out another scenario to you. Okay, 75-year-old man is sitting at a restaurant, okay, at a table near you. And you see a 75-year-old man sitting there. And you think to yourself... He probably doesn't know Jesus. Do you actually get up and start a conversation with him? You think, wow, he, if he doesn't know Jesus, he's going to go to hell. Do you have the courage to get out of your seat and even engage in a conversation My point is, it's weird how we can be so courageous in the physical world with physical things, but then when it comes to something spiritual and something that really matters, we're cowards. We are. We, we, we won't speak up because, well, that might hurt my reputation, or, or he may you know, reject me, or he may not you know, listen to what I have to say, so I, I don't even want to say anything. And so, so yeah, we would, we, we would in this room say, yeah, we're courageous, because we would try to help a, an old lady or old man from being beat up. But, but really? What about, a, what about an old man who, who probably doesn't have much longer to live? And he's going to have to face his God without forgiveness. Where's the courage? That some of us may pride ourselves in being very courageous physically, and yet when it comes to anything spiritually, we're, we're, we're cowards. Last week, it really hit me when you, you know, we talked through the whole Bible, and we got to the book of Revelation. And, and uh, man, when I read the passage, because I read it, but I don't know, there was something about it when I was reading it in service, in Revelation 21, and, and, and the very final state when we're going to be with God. But then he makes that statement, and as, as I was saying it, there was something in the pit of my stomach that just felt sick. In Revelation 21, verse 7, he says, The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I didn't like that verse. I hated the way it starts with the cowardly. You know, if it had said the sexually immoral first, that might have been more helpful to me. Like, okay, that's not me. But the cowardly? Really? You're going to put that first? I didn't like reading that last week. Because it's interesting, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm okay at getting in front of a crowd and saying whatever the Word of God says, but... One-on-one, sitting next to a stranger, feeling convicted like I should talk to someone. Cowardly is a very good adjective. It describes me. There are times when I've just backed out. And, and just, like, just like that feeling you get if you saw that scene with this old man getting beat up and you did nothing and you drive away going, man, what did I do? Why didn't I say something? Why didn't I just run in there and put myself at risk and just try something? Even though I get beat up, at least I tried. It's a good thing. I got to help. 
And you would feel sick to your stomach in the same way many of us have felt sick to our stomach because there were times when we knew we should have opened our mouths and just tried to say something, but we didn't. Cowardly. And doesn't, doesn't sit well with us. It bugs us. Then you read the passage like that and, and in context of Revelation. Remember Jesus saying, you know what? Those who overcome, because this is in light of God's wrath. This is in light of the end times. The end times when he says, look, you don't take that mark. You take that mark, 666. You know, you, you, you know if you take that mark, you know what? You're doing everything God doesn't want you to. He goes, but there's going to be the true believers. The true believers will say, okay, so I can't, I can't eat without this mark. I can't, I can't get food without this mark. I, I, you know, if I don't buy into your system, I can't eat. I, you'll, you'll torture me. He says, there will be those who, who will stand firm and go, okay, go ahead. I'll starve to death. I don't care. I'm not going to deny my Jesus Christ. I will not deny that, that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I will speak up for him. And in light of all of that, and there will be those who are tortured and everything else and stands to the end, God says to them, he goes, but those, those of you who stand, you know what? You're going to be my son. You're going to be with me forever. But then he makes a statement. He goes, but those cowards, the cowardly, the faithless, sexually immoral, Swindlers, you know, that whole group of people, the ones that won't stand with me. They're not going to come with me. And I read that and I go, man, I, I refuse to be a coward. I just, I, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that person that backs down. When I was in Korea a couple of weeks ago, I have so much to tell you about that trip because it was one of those that I just learned so much. But I got to have dinner with this guy. Um, do you remember, it was about a year and a half ago or so, I don't remember the exact timing, but we, we stopped and we prayed for a group of people here at the church. Because remember when there were 23 Korean missionaries that went into Afghanistan and got abducted by the Taliban? Remember, and they killed one and threw him out on the road, and then they killed another one, threw him out on the road, and then they were just, they were telling us that they were going to kill one, you know, kill another one, just keep killing them one at a time until we release hostages or whatever the situation was. And I remember just getting to church with such a heavy heart. I go, you guys, let's just forget about us right now. Imagine if you're one of those 21 that are left. What would you feel in that? And so we just, we just spent some time praying for those Koreans. Well, I got to, I got to have dinner with one of those guys that was imprisoned over there. When I was over there, this guy was one of the pastors. There were two pastors. And he's telling me this story about what it was like. Because what the Taliban did was they, they split them into groups of three and took them to all these different remote places so that they could not you know, get together. But he said the last time we were together as a group, when all 23 of us were there, he goes, they confiscated everything of ours. And we knew bad things were going to happen. But one of the team, and we, we don't know how it happened, one of them still had a Bible in his back pocket. But we couldn't read it. We couldn't, like, you know, have a Bible study or anything. We couldn't say anything, you know, too loud or whatever. And so he tore it up into 23 pieces and sections and just handed it to each of us. So wherever we went, we would have at least a portion of the Word of God. And whenever they weren't looking, we could look at a few verses just for encouragement, just to keep us strong. He goes, and then, he goes, then, all 23 of us, he goes, one at a time. He goes, it was so beautiful. We just, just very quietly, each person just before God just said to God, God, 
you know what? Live or die, whatever for your glory. I'm going to surrender my life to you. If you think it'll bring you more glory, if I die, then go ahead. My life is yours. If you want me to live through this, you want me to, whatever, I surrender my life to you. He goes, all 23 of us went around and said that. He goes, then the pastor, the senior pastor, he spoke to us. He says, listen, if anyone dies, I die first because I'm your pastor. And so this guy I'm having dinner with says, he, he, he goes, so I spoke up. I said, no, I also am a pastor and I'm older than you and you need to respect your elders. <laughs> he goes, he goes, I die first. And then this, he goes, then my pastor says, he goes, he goes, no, I am the senior pastor and I am ordained and you are not. I die first. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm listening to this and sure enough, they kill that pastor. You know, and then they take another guy and kill him. And that was the last, you know, they saw of those people. And he's telling me this story and this whole thing that went on over there. And and there's just a part of me that goes, man, that's courage. That's the real thing. That's those are those are the believers. And here's the interesting thing. He says, since we've been back, since we've been back to Seoul, he said, I've had several of the team members who were with us in prison that came up to me and said, don't you wish we were back there? He says, team members will come up to me and say, I was so close to Jesus when I was in that prison cell. And I tried to get that back and it's just not the same. I really wish I were back there. There was this intimacy as I drew near to Jesus that I can't find in anything else. And there's something about when we're willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. There's a, there's a bonding that takes place with you and the Lord that we can't just, you know, and, and for some of you hear that and you go, wow, that just, I don't, I don't see how you could want to be back in that situation. But these people did. And some of us are going, no, I do get that. I do get that because there have been a few times in my life when I actually suffered for the sake of the gospel. And while I didn't enjoy it, there was this peace that I felt like, no, this is it. I'm actually standing for something I believe in. I'm actually being persecuted. You know, those, those few times when maybe you lose a friendship and, or maybe you share Christ with someone and they reject you. And while you hate the rejection, there's this peace that overcomes you where you go, man, that felt biblical though. At least I feel peace. At least I'm, 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 I have that fellowship of the suffering, you know, like Jesus, you know, like Paul says, I I want a fellowship in his sufferings. I want to know what that's like. And when we do get a glimpse of that, there's this peace. Because the truth is, is, is that comfort is way over, overrated. And those of us who are believers know that we really don't have peace when everything is comfortable in our lives. But there's something about suffering for the sake of the gospel that gives us a sense of peace, even though we don't necessarily enjoy it or like it at the moment. At least you go, at least I know I'm the real thing. At least I'm willing to suffer for this thing. And there are those times in life. And so you can understand that story and go, man, I, I know what they're saying. I've never been to the extremes that they went to. But I, I think I understand it because I know the times that I've been rejected, the times I've actually stood up and I wasn't a coward and maybe faced some suffering or sacrifice because of it. It was just right. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I. I believe God wants me to teach through the book of Philippians. Um, 
I was thinking about the world and everything that's going on. And Philippians talks about having joy despite whatever's going on, on the outside. It talks about being content, whether you have a lot or a little. It has this, it's this idea of caring for other people. But there's, there's this bigger theme that, that's in, in, in uh, Philippians. And as I was reading it over and over, I, you know how sometimes the scriptures just come clear to you? Like you go, oh, I get it. Like you were just enlightened. I had one of those moments this week as I was reading it and studying it um, because it, it talked about Paul and how much he loved this church in Philippi. And, and I'd read a lot of Paul's writings and go, man, that's, that's cool. He had a real love for these churches that he would work with. And, and I want that. And, and honestly, I don't feel that all the time, you know? And, and I don't have this, I don't, I don't think, oh man, the, the church, Cornerstone, Simi Valley, and, and while there's relationships with someone, I'm like, I, I don't get this completely. But then when I was reading this, I'm like, oh, I get it. I understand. I understand why now. See, he says in Philippians 1.1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and he writes to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in prayer, in, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul, Paul is chained to a prison guard right now as he writes this. And he says, I'm thinking about you guys. And he goes, and every time I remember you, I'm just filled with, with this joy. I have like such great feelings for you. And, and he goes and he uses these words like uh, in, in verse 7. He goes, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Then he says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, see he's in this prison, chained to this guard, and he's writing to this church. He goes, man, you, you guys know, you, I've got you in my heart. I think about you all the time. Man, I, I just have so much joy, and I thank God every time I remember you. And he goes, and it's right for me to feel this way about you. And he goes, why? Why did Paul love these people so much? Why did he love this church so much? It says, because of your partnership in the gospel. See, he loved them because he says there's a partnership going on. There was this church where all week long they were out telling people the gospel, the good news, telling people about Jesus. And Paul says, you know what? I have this bond and I'm crazy about you guys because you're partners, you're partakers in, in this with me. And, and I was thinking about this and I go, this is it. This is the key. You see... I've had a bunch of different jobs. Okay, I worked at Taco Bell and went from Taco Bell to Michael's Pizza, Michael's Pizza to start selling these vacuum cleaners door to door, Kirby vacuum cleaners. Then I went to um, like Ralph's Market. I went to, uh, then I, I did, uh, I worked at the Broadway. Remember the Northridge Mall used to have a department store called the Broadway to sell men's clothing. Then I went to, uh, then I did a hardwood floors. I, I installed hardwood floors for a while. I did, uh, and I worked at Acapulco's there on Reseda Boulevard. Um, okay, so, so all these jobs, there's something, something, uh, something happened at every one of these jobs. I bonded with my coworkers. 
I just did. A lot of you guys know what I'm talking about. You work with them. You see them every day. You know, I, I mean, in, in the restaurant, it's, it's, it's different. You know, in the restaurant, you've got these other waiters and waitresses and you just bond because you're, you're working together at something. And you, you know, come back in the back. and go, Oh, man, you got to see my customer at this table. Look at this guy. He looks so weird, you know, or whatever. And, and or, oh, this guy's so mad or, oh, I had that person. They're going to stiff, you, you know, and, and you, you, you know, you got all these things like and you're all excited. Oh, this guy tipped me. Oh, this not, you know, and, and you just you just bond. You just do. And there's a different relationship that you have with the co-workers that you do not have with the customers. With the customers, you just put on this fake smile. Hey, you know, hola, what would you like to order? You know, and, uh, you, you know, and you just do this thing. But then you get back with your co-workers and, and it's like, ah, you know, your buddies and everything else. And and it's the same thing. It was in every business, because when you work together to do something, installing floors together, you know, you're all day doing this thing. And it's like, OK, we, we created that together. Whatever your job is, there's this bond that you have with coworkers that you don't have with customers. The reason why Paul had such a bond with the people in his church was they were co-workers with him. They were partners in the gospel. And so much of church nowadays, and understand this is a new phenomena that's going on right now where church is filled with customers. This is something like Todd was talking about that we created in the last few decades, this whole idea of what would you like to see in a church? Oh, you want short services? Oh, you want this type of music? Oh, sorry, if you, you know, are the seats not comfortable? Are you guys too crowded? You know what, is, is the air conditioning not, not cool enough for you? You know, our children's program, do they have enough to offer? Is that good enough for you? And people come into church as kind of shopping and going, I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I like that. People come up to me and go, you know what? I was thinking about joining your church. So help me out, you know, and, and, and sell me on this thing. Tell me why I should be a part of this church and not that one down the street. And we, we just, you know, okay, okay. You know what? Have it your way. Let me, let me just, uh, I, I, because you know what? This is our, our first priority. You're the customer. Let me make sure you have a great experience at Cornerstone Church. Because that was never the intention of church. When you read the Bible, it was never this idea of come in, let me make you feel good. Let me make sure you like my message and like this, like this, like this. No, the church used to be a gathering of people who had spent the whole week passionately spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ because they had heard a good news that was so good. That's, that's all they did all week. And then they would get together regularly with the other people who were spending all week out there sharing the gospel. And they get together and there's a bond. There's a bond between those people there because they're working together. And I felt that bond with certain people. Man, I'll be in, we were in Sao Paulo, Brazil, you know, meet this guy, spend a few hours with him, this guy named Simon, and I hear about his life, and, and what he did was he, he would go amongst the poor, you know, I'm like, how'd you meet your girlfriend? He would tell me, well, you know, I walk around the slums out there, and I just bring food and gifts to, to some of those people, and I tell them about Jesus, and he goes, and I noticed there was this other girl, you know, and, and she would be like doing the same thing, so I was like, hey, let's do this together, you know, and we, we just got it, and I'm like, man, that's so cool, and he started telling me about his life and the things that he gave up and did for the gospel. Suddenly, immediately there was a bond. Immediately there was a bond. Same thing happened, you know, in Korea, like, you know, having dinner with this guy. And me, I, I only had spent two hours with him. But I hear what he did for the gospel. And immediately I go, you know what, whatever you need for me. You know what? My stuff, my money, it's, it's your money. You, you know, there's this, uh, there's this immediate bond that takes place because, look, you won't find in the early church where the early church got together and said, hey, let's do community. 
Let's, let's, you know, have you over for, for dinner for the next three months. Oh, no, let's have Bible stay together for the next nine months. And maybe we'll bond and start liking each other. No, the bond automatically happens between people who are co-workers. People who are passionately out doing this thing. They didn't have to fake or create community. It just happened. Because when you're living for the same thing, it just happens. And Paul says, look, I love you guys. I am crazy about you guys because you're co-workers with me. Your fellow laborers with me because of your partnership in the gospel with me. See, I, I was reading this and I was thinking, you know, I, I, whenever I'm on a trip, wherever I am, I, I, the thought always goes through my mind. I wonder if I should stay here, you know, because I, I just want to be available. God, where do you want me? And, and, you know, when I'm in Seoul, I was thinking, wow, you know, there's a connection I've got. You know, some of these people, it, it just it, there's a lot of good stuff going on. And so, you know, just start imagining, OK, what, what if I what if I moved here? Okay, what would that be like? And you start thinking, okay, what would I miss? And I start thinking, and there's certain people I would miss. And as I thought through those people, it's the people that are actually partners in the gospel with me. The one who are actually co-workers. The one who spend their lives, you know, trying to get people to believe and going out and sharing the good news. It's like I bond with those people immediately. But not with the customers. Not the people that just show up on a Sunday morning and this is it for you and you're just evaluating and going, eh, you know, I'm going to try that, that one down the street. I wasn't too pleased with what I heard last week or this or that. It's, it's the co-workers that bond. Paul loved this church because he says, you know what, you're partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He goes, we, we work together on this thing. He goes, you've been together with me from day one in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And he goes, now that I'm in jail, you got to understand back then in the prison system, if you were in jail, you, they, they don't come and feed you your meals. You don't eat unless someone comes from the outside and brings you food. And so when Paul's in prison and he sees his fellow partners come and bring him food for the sake of the gospel, see, there was a bond there. And I thought, you know what, there's, there's people in the church that do that for me. You know what, for the sake of the gospel, not because, oh, you know, we became friends and we golfed together. No, 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 because you're concerned about this gospel thing that I'm about. And you go, you know what, there's a bond in that because I'm that same type of person. Others of you would go, oh, he's not preaching anymore. I'm going to go to this church down the street. You see, there's such a big difference between a customer and a coworker, And I got to get you to think through what are you i want everyone walking out today thinking through what am i am i a partaker in this gospel am i a partner in this gospel of this this you live to tell people about jesus or are you a customer because that was what this is something we created the last few years that says, let me entertain you to death. Let me keep the services short. Let me do this, 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 this. And so it's, it'd be natural for you to come here as a customer and go, let me see if I like this church. And lots of people church shop. That's the way we even call it with no shame. Oh, I'm just church shopping, seeing which one I like. And it's become something we just attend. And it's like, no, it used to be a gathering of people that were out all week telling people about Jesus. And they would just get together in their neighborhoods, wherever. Some of you are going, you know, I don't even like what you guys are doing in the neighborhood. 
I don't like this whole thing where you're saying you're forcing me to be friends with the other Christians on my block. I don't like that. I, I'm just going to sit and wait till that passes and maybe you guys will come up with something else. This whole thing about reaching your whole neighborhood and how we have to witness to the people around us. No, you know what? That's, that's, that's just lame. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wait till this passes. Hey, you know, and I, I just want to, I want to have a Bible study with my friends. One lives over there, one lives over there. And we all meet at the church and it's just safe. It's safe, isn't it? Because you got all your little believing friends and you just hang out. You've known each other forever. And it's just so comfortable. And the thought of walking next door and talking to someone about Jesus, even though you know in your heart you're supposed to, you won't do it. Because you're a coward. It's a lot easier just to go with my same old girlfriends, you know, and we get together again and, and, and we have coffee and we're really close. That's great. That's cute. But the truth is, is, you have no courage. And that's not the way Jesus wants you to be. That's not the way he wants us to live. That's not going to create any bond. And so we bond over coffee, bond over golf, or do we bond over the gospel of saying, you know what? We're partners in this thing. Do you spend this week talking to people about Jesus and laying it out? Did you get beat up? Did you get messed up a little bit? Did you get rejected? So did I. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's, let's get each other fired up and let's go back out there and do it again. That's what church was about. Let's proclaim this gospel until he returns. See, and, and Paul says, um, my, my prayer, verse, verse 9, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. It's interesting because he says, he goes, my prayer is that your love would abound even more. Okay, here's the thing. But he says, I want it to abound more in knowledge and discernment. Have you ever met Christians who are courageous, but they have no discernment? They just say it. You know, and they throw it out, and sometimes you almost wish they didn't say it, you know, so boldly or however they said it. But the interesting thing, though, because what we do with those people, they come to Christ and they just start telling everyone and they can be obnoxious or whatever, is we want to say, stop. Come here, come to our college, let us train you up, but don't go doing that just yet. And let us train you up, come to a bunch of our Bible studies and let us deaden you with our knowledge, right? But Paul doesn't say that. He goes, I pray that your love, your passion grows even more. And I pray that as you get more passionate, you'll also grow in your knowledge and your discernment. See, that's the way it's supposed to happen. If you're one of those freaks that you came to the Lord and you're just telling everyone, I'm saying, get even more fanatic. But as you do that, grow in your knowledge and discernment. You'll start learning. You know what? In this culture, you know, here's a better way of approaching it. Here's how I'm going to talk to this guy. Here's how I'm going to address this guy. Here's how I'm going to be wise. And, and I'm going to learn more and more about Christ. And spread. But don't stop sharing. Just learn as you share. See, the thing we've, we've done is we've deadened some of these guys that are so fired up. Saying, you don't know enough. Or you don't know the right technique or this. You know what? No, get out there. Say what you need to say. Be courageous. And as you're doing it, keep learning. Keep growing. Let your love abound, but let it abound in knowledge and in discernment. You know, let me just say this. I, I've, it's been almost 15 years I've been here, okay? And during this time, there have been different phases where I've had an unhealthy concern 
for numbers. I go through phases. You know, there's times when I'm focused and go, you know what? Just get, just get the truth out. I just want the real disciples. Jesus doesn't say to get a bunch of people in a room. He says, make disciples who will obey everything I commanded. So I get focused. But then other times, it's just, it's just fun to speak to a big crowd. I like big crowds. I cannot lie. <laughs> it's, just this, it's just this whole thing of, you know, it's enjoyable. But, you know, I'm at one of these phases where it's just one of those phases where I just go, you know what? I really could care less. I, I want coworkers. I, I don't need a bunch of customers coming through the church. Yeah, maybe I get caught up in that whole American big church thing. But every time, like when I'm alone with God, I go, you know what? That doesn't make any sense. I don't see that in here. And I know this will bug some of you, but I, I really don't want any customers in the church. It's great if you're seeking and you're here and you don't know who Jesus is and you're not sure you want to follow him. I'm so grateful you're here and I hope you see a bunch of people who are passionate about Jesus Christ and I hope you keep coming. But once you come to know the Lord, once you decide to follow him, once you get baptized, now you're a worker with us. This is an army that you've joined. We're going out, we're fighting for something, we're believing in something, we're spreading something. And you, you know what, and, and we're going to get beat up and this or that, but that's what I'm interested in because that's what Jesus is interested in. And, and like Todd said, you know, a couple of weeks ago about how we're the ones who made this mess, you know, I, I was guilty of that, you know, I, I would just, hey, let's just get them in the doors, let's just get, keep them coming, oh, you know what, you know, as a youth pastor, it's like, oh, uh, you don't want to come anymore, oh, uh, next week we're going to give away free skateboards, you know, come back, come back, just come, I just want you to get to the church, I want you to be happy, don't go to that youth group, mine's better, on and on and on, and it's like, well, what is that about, I don't see that in here, it's a bunch of people that would die for this thing. A bunch of people who say, you know what, I would, I would sit in a prison. I, I'd be arrested by a Taliban. I'd probably love it. You know what, there'd probably be some sort of intimacy I'd have with Jesus. And that fellowship of the sufferings, you know what, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'd do it. You know, and I'll, I'll share with my neighbor. Yeah, he'll probably reject me. He'll probably say, you know, I don't believe that. Yeah, I work in Hollywood. And I, you know what, and if I bring up what I really believe, I'm going to get rejected. But I'm going to do it anyways. You know, I got I to gotta try. I got to at least say it. And if that 75-year-old man's there, I, I would. I would just kind of awkwardly go, you know what? I don't know why. This is going to be so weird to you. But I got to just say some things to you. Some of you, you've come, gone to family members and friends where you go, I should have told you this earlier. And I feel totally awkward saying this to you. And I know your beliefs are different. But I got to at least say it to you. And when I hear stories like that, I go, right on. Right on. We're partners. Right on. There's an immediate bond when you tell me that. I go, okay, you believe what I believe. Showing up to church doesn't show that you believe what I believe. But when you're out there and you're a partner in the gospel, then I, you know, like Paul, I go, okay, you're my partner, man. Let's, I, whatever's mine is yours. Let's, let's do this thing. Let's make it happen. Paul says in verse 12, because I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the, the, the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
See, this is the crazy thing about Paul. He was so focused. He had this one track mind, which is, I've got this good news. I want the whole world to hear it. Everyone's got to hear about Jesus. And so when he's writing and he's in prison, I mean, if you're in prison and you're chained to a guard and you're hoping someone just brings you your next meal, what are you going to write to people? What are you going to say? I'm hungry. You know what? The last guy brought me tacos. I didn't really like them. I don't like spicy food. Can you, you know, what, what, what do you write when you're at that point? Paul, all he cared about was the gospel. So what he writes is he goes, you guys, this is actually pretty cool. This is actually helping the gospel get out. He goes, I got to preach to my guard today. I mean, he's a captive audience. He's chained to me. You know, he got to hear it. And then pretty soon I got to share with the whole Praetorium Guard. All of these soldiers now know why I'm in here. So I just shared the gospel with all these Romans. He goes, not only that, but now the Christians that are outside the prison hear what I've done. And they see that, hey, he's cool. You know what? They're, they're getting more bold and more courageous. He goes, man, this is working out great. He goes, why? Because all I care about is the gospel. And so if I have to be in jail for the word of God to get out more, then so be it. If I have to be beat up for the sake of the... Because this is all I care about. I've got this one-track mind. And see, when people have that, and there aren't that many that are like that, when all they care about is the gospel, there will be a natural bond. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to force it. You don't have to have, you know, a dinner together every week. You don't have to go, you know, play together, surf together, anything. You just immediately bond because you go, you know what? You live for what I live for. And that's why Paul says, yeah, yeah, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yep, that's me too. And so you just immediately bond. And those who are like that, as you meet other people like that around the world, there's an automatic bond that you don't have to force. And our prayer is that as we do that in our communities, as we as neighbors say, you know what, let's start reaching out to the community. And and we all start sharing with our neighbors immediately. We just start bonding. Go, oh, wow, you invited them to dinner? Wow, you you start talking to that guy? Oh, you shared with him? I shared with him too. Immediately, there's a partnership in the gospel. Not over anything else. You guys, this week I've been... um, I've been praying for your courage. In my prayer life, I just go, God, this room's filled with cowards. It just is. I'm one of them. Like I said, I can speak in front of a crowd. But sometimes, man, one-on-one, I just fold, you know? Sometimes I even feel convicted, like, go talk to that guy right there. It's like, ah. It drives me nuts. And I back down. And I just go, I'm, I'm not going to be that. I don't want to be that. And I've been praying for myself and I've been praying for you. We've got to make a turn here because I think most of us would admit we are cowards. And we don't see that in here. We see it in Revelation 21, the cowardly, but I don't want to be that. I, I refuse to be that. You see, we're, we're going to take communion in a second. And, and it's an honor to take communion. Do you understand what communion represents? It's for us to remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this because some of you guys hear this message and you go, but it's hard for me to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, and it's real easy for the rest of us. Don't you understand the message behind communion? Don't you understand what Jesus did in the garden? Remember his prayer? Jesus did not feel like going to the cross. 
In fact, he was begging the Father, is there any other way? Because Jesus wasn't going, man, I can't wait till those guys spit on me. I can't wait till they beat me up. I can't wait till they take that thing and just start lashing my back and just pulling chunks of my skin off. Oh, I can't wait for that. Oh, and the climax, when they nail me to the cross, that's going to be the greatest. No, he was so dreading that that he's praying so intensely going, God, is there any way to take this cup from me? So intense that blood is now squirting out of his body. He's sweating drops of blood because he's so stressed about this and going, God, is there any other way? I don't feel like going to that cross right now. I don't feel like being tortured and beat up and spit. I don't feel like suffocating to death, just trying to reach for every breath with these nails in my hands and feet. I don't feel like hanging there naked for everyone to watch and mock me and laugh at me as I am their creator. Is there any other way? But not my will, but yours be done. If this will save them. If if, if I go through that type of hell so that these people don't have to go to hell, then so be it. And I'll do it for that joy set before me. But just let me ask one more time. Is there any way you can do it a different way? Can you take this cup away from me? And you talk about courage. Here's someone that says, look, because I love you, I'll go through all of that. I don't feel like it. I beg the fathers any other way. But at the end, we worship a courageous God. Aren't you so grateful that Jesus Christ was the man of all men? Yeah, it's tough to go and and help a helpless old man. And, you know, but I, I tell you, it's something much bigger To say, you know what, I'll let my creation beat me up. I'll let them beat me up. I'll let them torture me. Because I love them. And that's the spirit he wants us to have. And understand this communion as the worship team comes up and we take communion together. This is for only those of you who have committed to follow Jesus. And say, I want to be like him. I want to be courageous. Jesus did not back down. And thank God he did not. I'm so grateful I have a Savior who did not back down. And I want to draw near to a Savior who didn't back down. And this bread and cup, he says, you do this in remembrance of me. But what else does he say? He goes, this is how you'll proclaim. This is how you'll declare my gospel until I return. See, it's this bread and this cup. It's like, look, I'm a follower of this Jesus Christ. See, and there's a weird thing of us doing this in service. I mean, it's good and everything. But at the same time, understand communion was something they did in homes. Communion is something they did everywhere. And I want to encourage you. You you know what? Do you even have the boldness to take of communion when you're at a restaurant? And say, you know what? I don't care. You guys think this is weird? We're going to pass this piece of bread and, and break it into pieces. We're going to drink of this cup together. Even though we're having a nice dinner at this restaurant. Because I'm going to proclaim to you that this is what matters to me. Can you do it at your own home? You're embarrassed of, your, of Jesus in front of your own kids? When people come over. It's this proclamation. It's a remembering of a Savior who is courageous. And during this time as we worship, maybe, uh, maybe some of you have never taken the step of baptism, which is far more courageous thing to do back in the day when they knew, if I get up there and get baptized, I'm going to lose my family and lose my job. You know what? I'm going anyways. I'm going anyways. I don't care because I found a treasure so great. I found a treasure so great. I'm willing to leave my father, mother, wife, kids, job, whatever, security, because this is the real thing. That's Christianity. And that's what I want to be a part of. 
And I pray that you want to be a co-worker with me and a partner with me in the gospel. And if so, then take the bread, take the cup, and remember what it represents. And if you need prayer and you want to get baptized or anything, there'll be some pastors up here by the prayer room.